0: Just as we started the first song, um, uh, Barry came up to me and said, Worship doesn't end. We've got the Haley service uh, today at 3 p.m. Um, at the Haley Day Centre. And I promised I would mention that from the front as well. Over the last uh, few months, Zoe and I have sat down with our young persons group on a Sunday and had the absolute pleasure of watching the entire Gospel of John. It's a three hour film on YouTube where the gospel is told word for word. You know, it's a wonderful movie and for me, it's brought the gospel to life in a way I'd personally never seen it before. And I thoroughly uh, recommend it to everyone to spend a few hours watching it. It won't be a time wasted. But what it did for me was get me thinking about John and his part in the gospel message in the early church. I've always loved John's writing style in the gospels and his letter, or his letters. And I love the way that through his gospel he refers to himself as the third person, as the one Jesus loved, or as John. Someone who is a a bit in the background. And then in the final few verses... He just can't resist adding his own thoughts and he reverts to the first person and in John chapter 21 verse 25 he says, Jesus did many other things as well. If any of them was, if, sorry, if every one of them was written down, I, first person, suppose even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I think it's a wonderful statement about how good Jesus is and the beautiful things he has done for us all personally, and I think it sums up the character of John. John was a very special character in the Bible, and even in exile, 50 years after Jesus died, he is used for God's glory by writing down this vision that we call Revelation. We're blessed by this book. It says so in Revelation 1 verse 3. It says, blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. And what is written in it, because the time is near. So let's spend some time today looking at what this amazing man experienced right at the beginning of his vision. And the first thing he sees is Jesus in glory. It is this opening scene in Revelation where he first sees Jesus that is the focus of what I'm going to speak on today. So that you can follow where I am in the sermon, here are the key points that I want to speak on today. First of all, Jesus is in glory. Second, Jesus is awesome. Third, Jesus is at the center of our churches. And four, Jesus has plans for where you are. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in making talks like this practical. It's easy to dive into the detail and examine the imagery, but God's word transforms and grows us and shapes us. And so in each of these sections, I think it worth asking the question, what does it mean to us individually or as a church? As a note, I'm not going to be looking at the, this um, uh, this portion of scripture in um, chronological order or in order I'm going to be jumping around so let's jump into the first part Jesus is in glory and we're looking at Revelation 1 14 to 16 here it says here this there was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest the hair on his head was white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Let's start at the very beginning of this passage. What, what is the Son of Man? Well, simply put, the Son of Man is Jesus. Jesus himself regularly refers to himself as the Son of Man, 14 times in Matthew's Gospel, And the first time it was used, I believe, was in Daniel in the Old Testament when he had a vision and referred to Jesus as the Son of Man. However, whilst John recognised Jesus, Jesus looked different than the man who walked on earth. John described Jesus as now having hair as white as wool, eyes like blazing fire, and feet the colour of glowing bronze. He clearly recognised Jesus, but he looked different. Why? Why did Jesus look different? Jesus looked different because Jesus had died, he had risen, and he'd gone to heaven. Jesus was now fully God. John was seeing Jesus in heaven. Jesus was in glory. Why is this important to us? Because if Jesus, if Jesus is in glory, that means the job is done. Jesus has broken the wages of sin that is death. And for those who believe, he's given the right to have a personal relationship with God. Because Jesus is glorified, we will never die. We believe that whatever happens in our lives, as Christians, he will be with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Even though Jesus is not here on earth as a man, the Holy Spirit that he promised to send has utterly, utterly transformed the world, including many sitting here today. And I include myself in that. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father, fully glorified, and it is because of what he's done, instead of death, we have life and we have it to the full. We have life and have it to the full, but now for the practical bit, what does it mean to us that Jesus is in glory? Well, let's answer that question with another question. Do our lives reflect the truth that Jesus is in glory? In the next chapter in Revelation, Jesus gives John letters to the seven churches. And here there are some pretty sobering warnings. In Revelation 3, 16, Jesus describes his people as being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I think it's right and good that we regularly ask ourselves, are there areas of our lives that we still want to control? Areas that if we are honest, Jesus will class us as lukewarm. That's not having life to the full in the way that Jesus wanted us to have it. For those, and I include myself in that, who've been blessed with children, are we praying for them and reading the Bible with them? Are we getting interested in what they're interested in? I've suddenly developed a really healthy interest in rocks, thanks to Noah. And poor Zoe is in despair as she has to deal with the noise of a rock tumbler day and night. She hates it. And she really doesn't like it when we go for a walk and come back with a carrier bag full of rocks. Praying and reading, the Bible is important, but laughing with those that God has given us and doing life with them is equally important. And we know that because that's exactly what Jesus did. And for all of us, we all have gifts. Are you using your gifts for his glory? If you lead teams of 40 or you care for a single elderly person, are you bringing God's light into those situations with a smile, a laughter even though those situations may be really bad are we a blessing to others have we experienced the joy in giving do we speak with Jesus regularly do we rest regularly so that you're refreshed to carry on with life you know i believe this is what it means to have life to the full and the reason why jesus is in glory the job is done we're saved and jesus now sits at the right hand of god the father have we grasped the life that He has given us and wants us to have jesus now sits at the right hand of the father have we grasped the life that he has given us and wants us to have Next section, Jesus is awesome. Let's move to verse 17 now. And he said this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his hands on me and said, Do not be afraid. You know, what is our attitude towards Jesus? For sure, when he died, the temple curtain in Jerusalem tore in two, the holiest of holies. It was this wonderful image of the fact that we can all approach the throne of God with confidence. However, what we see here is John, Jesus' closest friends on earth, falling at Jesus' feet as though dead. The point is here is, how do we approach Jesus? Yes, he is our friend. Yes, he's the lover of our souls, but he's also God. He's awesome. And when we enter his presence, it's important to remember that we are entering the presence of the creator, of the world and the universe. There is no greater power. Of course, John should be frightened. But look at Jesus' reaction. He placed his hands on me and said, do not be afraid. Jesus is awesome. He's the lion and he's the lamb. And in our worship, we were singing about Jesus being um, the lamb. But what I'd like to speak on is Jesus, the lion, the awesomeness of Jesus. So what does Jesus being awesome mean for us? And why is this important to focus on? And let's get straight to the practical application here. Why is Jesus awesome? Oh, sorry, why is Jesus' awesomeness Important to us. And the verse which I think explains it best is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. So what this verse is saying is that it's important to understand that Jesus is awesome because it transforms us, it grows us, it changes us, it makes us more like him. That's what this verse says. If we, if we want to grow in Jesus Christ, then we need to contemplate, we need to dwell on the glory of the Lord. How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, here's some practical suggestions. Fundamentally, I believe this is about place and or space. It's about place or space. Find a place or space to dwell on his awesomeness and allow it to transform you. John did. In verse 10, it said, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. He had a point in time where he was separated from everyday life. On the Lord's day. Find a place and or a space is a practical suggestion to experience the awesomeness of God. For me, I'm wired to see God in creation. And every two weeks, Steve Adamson and I meet up and we walk together in Pisherbury. We chat, we laugh, and we finish praying with each other as we walk. And a few weeks ago, we were thanking God for his awesome creative power and the amazing variety of life. We could see in the grass field as we were walking through it. I know it sounds quite Theresa May-esque, and I apologize from that, but that's what was happening. And from this simple revelation, it allowed me to recognize that God knew and created every single blade of grass, that he cares passionately for the small and the big things in life. Through our praise, Jesus revealed a simple truth to me, that he cares for the big and for the small. We've just had this wonderful room built at the bottom of our garden, and this too is a wonderful place to worship away from family noise. But if you you don't have a quiet place in your house, then perhaps go to the toilet. Often solitude is a helpful space to visit, to dwell on God's awesomeness. Unless you have to share the toilet, but that sounds a bit weird. But anyway. And I think actually, sometimes you may need to take a long journey to see God's awesomeness. And this is from personal experience. You know, there are very special places in the world that I seek out. And when I'm there, I experience the awesomeness of God. One of those places is in Scotland and around Glencoe. When I stand on those mountains and see the incredible age of that landscape, the ancient dormant volcanoes, I see God eternal and ageless. I remember we were up there at Easter and I was walking up a mountain called Stobkoya Reynach and I stood and looked over some of the oldest landscapes in the world and for me, it brought to life, it brought to a new meaning to those amazing words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees when they asked him to rebuke the disciples for singing and Jesus turned up and said, if these men keep quiet then the rocks will cry out. Amen. And as I climbed that mountain, I found myself utterly overwhelmed by the majesty, the beauty of his creation. And it seemed to me that in my silence, the very ground I walked on was singing God's praises. Seek out spaces and places where you can experience the awesomeness of God. Why? Because as the Bible says, to contemplate on God's glory transforms us it grows us next point Jesus is at the center of the church I'm going to jump into verse 12 here and he says this I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned around I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man well, further on down, it says the seven lampstands are the seven churches, and the man standing in the middle of these seven churches is, of course, Jesus. Do you know, I, I think this is an absolutely wonderful image because the next seven sections are individual letters to all of these churches that are representing here. It's got a few good things to say about all of them, but there are some growth opportunities is probably a fair way of putting it. I've had the absolute privilege and honor of getting involved with OM, Operation Mobilization, and um, uh, and I I was with Gary, actually, and we we had about 40 or 50 seconds with George Verwa, the founder of this amazing organization. Um, We heard him speak, and he's a passionate, he's a humble man, and he's 85 years old. And he's recently written a book called More Drops, and in that book, he talks about an idea that he calls messialogy. And rather naughtily he says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there will be trouble. And you know how true that is. In churches and Christian organizations, it, it seems to be that as soon as we start moving forward, then trouble seems to be not far behind. And yet, and yet, here we have the image of Jesus standing in the midst of his imperfect and troublesome church Don't you think this is amazing? Despite our sin, our bickering, forgetting our first love, pursuing our own ends at times, Jesus stands there in the centre, blessing, growing his church, his people. So what does this practically mean for us? Well, one, first and foremost, yet again, this is a picture of grace. You know despite our sin and bad wiring he loves us he wants us to be he wants to be right at the center of this church and church life we don't deserve this love and yet he gives it we bask in his light he blesses us amen number 2 what do you think of church You know, if we believe Jesus is standing at the center of his church, then do we respect and love its members as Jesus does? The next time we go to gossip, the next time we go to complain about someone in the church, we need to pause, we need to stop. You see, if Jesus is standing among his people like this image shows, then you may hurt people. And if we hurt people, then we're... Definitely going to hurt his kingdom where he stands at the center. Final point on this. Jesus is at the center of his church. If he's at the center of his church, then there's a fair chance that you will meet with Jesus when you're at church. And when we talk about church, we're not just talking about regular attendance on a Sunday. That's a good thing. It's about getting involved in connect groups. I believe it's about finding Christians where you can go for walks on a regular basis. Where is he? I'm going to really embarrass Steve now. You know, Steve and I meet up every two weeks on a Wednesday, as I've mentioned, for an hour and walk around Pisherbury Park. And we chat, we laugh, we pray, we talk about our faith. And I have to say, I'm so blessed by this man. I encourage anyone who wants a blessing to book some time and go for a walk with Steve. No. Here's the thing. The reason why my walks with Steve are so good isn't because I'm walking with Steve and he's a good man. No. It's because we're Christians. We're doing life together. And Jesus is at the centre. Just like he is in this picture. It doesn't even have to be spiritual doesn't even have a particular purpose. Just ring people up. Invite them for a meal or a drink. Don't, be inv- don't wait to be invited. Just pick up the phone and start doing it yourself. Jesus is at the center of his church. My final point. Jesus wants to use you wherever you are. Jesus wants to use you wherever you are. I'm going right back to the beginning now. Verse 9. And it says this, Revelations 1.9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that arise in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Just to recap on John. John was the only disciple recorded present at Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' ascension into heaven. He lived through the early life of the church, the highs of the Pentecost, that honeymoon period that must have just been amazing to be amongst, but also the absolute horror of the persecution that followed. What happens in the intervening decades between the birth of the church and the moment that John gets this revelation can only be guessed at. However, we do know from this verse that John had been exiled because of his faith. Let's just add some context around this. So nowadays, people go to Patmos as a tourist destination. It's a stunning island that can only be reached by ferry. It's beautiful beaches, and it's a wonderful, wonderful place of solitude. But in John's time, things were very, very different, This was a place that had absolutely no social order. It would have been a dumping ground for people the Romans wanted to get rid of. It was easier to put them onto a boat and ship them off rather than kill them and have to get rid of bodies. Being in exile was a fate worse than death. And yet we have a man here who'd been right at the centre of God's church, at the formation of the church, in those amazing, amazing moments of Jesus' life. And to be alone would have been bad enough. But this man was probably in immense danger, day in and day out, as he lived with incredibly undesirable characters on this island. And I think, looking at this verse, that there is an important lesson for us here, and it's this. You know, Jesus wants to use you wherever you are. Jesus wants to use you wherever you are. I think if Jesus can use a man to write a book that is used to bless people throughout the ages that have followed, and that man is the last man standing in his group, he was probably all the other disciples would have been martyred by this time. He's exiled on an island with almost no communication in a dangerous place. The inevitable point here is that surely Jesus can use us for his glory where we are. Jesus can use us for his glory where we are. You know, God places us all all in situations. And many of them are not easy. So what does it mean for us? Well, I think it's a healthy reminder that God doesn't finish with us until the moment our soul leaves our body and we will see Jesus face to face and hear those words. Your race is finished. Well done, good and faithful servant. John's situation here shows us that God can use you for his glory whatever age you are or whatever your circumstances John was a man who was probably in his later years when God gave him this vision. And I say this because if it wasn't for a retired woman who opened her house to Zoe and I in Auckland and was willing to pray with me, if that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't be standing here today in front of you guys as a follower of Jesus. I think there's a personal challenge for us all. I don't believe anyone is ever too old, too young, too sick, too disabled, too sidelined, too sinful, too damaged to be used for God's glory. Amen. If God can still use a man exiled on a Greek island for his glory, he can certainly use us. And I passionately believe he wants to. End of point four. Let's tie this together. And can I just ask for the music group to come up now? So let's tie this together. Jesus is in glory. Amen. He's done his job. He's died for us. He's risen again. He sits in glory. We see this in John's first view of the Son of Man. If we believe in him and have asked him into our lives, then we are utterly safe and we have life And we have life to the full. But do our lives today reflect the life to the full that Jesus wants us to have? Falling on our knees in fear as we enter God's presence is a valid response. Just as much as lifting our hands up in praises. Spend time dwelling on his awesomeness. Find a place, a space where you can spend time reflecting on his glory. And his greatness and through that i believe he will transform and mold your life that he wants you to have one space and place where you can be with god is in church you want to meet jesus and hear him speak well pray yes read the bible yes but also get involved in church in his people because jesus is at the center be involved building God's kingdom just like those women were that we got up to the front and thanked and blessed hopefully earlier at the beginning of this service. And finally God wants to use you wherever you are. If God can use an old man sitting in a cave at the back end of the Roman Empire then he can use you. If, if you are sitting here today then rest assured without exception your journey is still ongoing with Jesus. Ask God to use you for his glory where you are. Every day ask God to make you a blessing to others and expand his kingdom. Thank him that he is in glory, that he has died, that he's risen. And we have life because of what he's done. We have it to the full. Gaze on his awesomeness and rest in his greatness and let Jesus Christ, the Son of the son of the living God, transform us all. Amen. Let's just pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you've died because you love us, because you rose again, because you conquered death, and because you ascended to heaven and is, n- and is now sitting in glory. Because of what you've done, we have life to the full. Father God, help us to dwell on your glory, transform us and use us where we are for your kingdom. Amen.